Hi, this is David Nolan from Human Performance Advancement, and you are listening to the Dan Kyo Wellness Project Podcast. guys, welcome to the Dan Kiel Wellness Project podcast, the second podcast of 2017. I am delighted to welcome David Nolan from Human Performance Advancement and not <laughs> Enhancement, which I wrote um, up on the page a couple of days ago. So yeah, Dave, sorry about that. And thanks a million for making the time to come down to uh, sunny, cloudy salons <laughs> on this Saturday afternoon. No, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and honoured to be on as a guest, Dan. You're doing really important work and really putting out a very important message, I think. Thanks very much, man. And I know that um, you actually reached out to me when you came across Niall Munley's podcast mm. in which we spoke about, obviously, wellness is a theme that runs through all of the podcasts. Yeah. But I got huge um, feedback from Niall's podcast because he was so open and honest about his difficulties with mental health is and how he used training along with being trained by his brother Dominic to get himself out of the darkest of holes you know so I appreciated you getting in touch with me after listening to that because that's the whole point of mm. setting up a podcast like the one you have and the one I have here it's reaching more and more people and particularly young men in Ireland because there is an endemic there always has been an endemic in terms of Irish men's mental health management mm. the difficulties with that Brezzy and the rubber bandits I think have done great work over the past yeah. couple of years particularly um, so what is your what are your thoughts initially I suppose on how bad things are in terms of young Irish men and their mental health at the moment well, I think it's not a pandemic as such but it's kind of it still is the unspoken truth that we hear within Ireland because there is a lot of work as you said Brezzy rubber bandits talking about this but there's a lot of awareness campaigns but young men still don't feel strong enough or confident enough to talk about there's kind of still a taboo and mm. we'll get on to it later within business and health there's oftentimes this fear of being judged and this kind of judgment and fear of judgment is yeah. what leads to men kind of going within their own shells and oftentimes we see people that are exuding a very confident um outward yeah. appearance that for someone looking from the outside say they're a very even arrogant very confident yeah. person yeah. but really at the back of it there's a lot of insecurity and kind of fear of inadequacy i suppose yeah. and lack of self-worth there that those people are trying to compensate for and as kind of within that if i go back to the health and fitness community we really need to kind of push and not be afraid to express these kind of feelings or talk about our insecurities or mental health issues and especially within the health and the powerlifting bodybuilding gym gore community there can be this macho man yeah you know what i mean every gym has yeah. them where these people have come across very intimidating very masculine and yeah. often the ones that are making the most noise yeah. are the ones that really need the most help yeah well they're probably listening to celine dion in their, uh, their <laughs> headphones but yeah. they won't let you know about no that. <laughs> that's because there is a macho machismo element of that that yeah. shuts them down and that's the reason a lot of people don't even get into the health fits community or a lot of females or young males especially are afraid 
to go to the gym or get into health and fitness and care about nutrition and that is because these stereotypical meatheads or macho man mm. in the gym it's a very intimidating environment for a lot of people to go into in the first place yeah, it isn't it's very easy to understand why people would be intimidated mm. about that you know and people dropping weights from great yeah. heights onto the crowd and grunting <laughs> and spitting and the whole lot i can i can empathize with that certainly yeah and even for myself once you get into and you talk to people that are very knowledgeable within the area for a lot of time and investment into their own knowledge and education within the science of training and nutrition and everything. You, you spend most of the time sitting there within the gym, minding your own business, doing your own training, but looking at these people that for the everyday recreational gym goer, to look at these monsters of men essentially yeah. and say, geez, they must know exactly what they're doing yeah. and they're kind of the experts in the field and you're just watching them. And really kind of ashamed that they're the, what people see as the go-to gold the standard. Yeah. The mecca, yeah. Because yeah. their attitude, and oftentimes their training nutrition methods, they think they know what they're doing, but they don't understand the theory behind it. Yeah. Because every now, if you go onto Instagram, social media, every second person yeah. in good shape seems to be an online coach now, yeah. or yeah. offering coach and training plans, where there's a big difference between understanding how to get yourself into good condition, or get yourself into physical fitness and understanding the ability to program for someone else and understand their body because individuality in life mental health fit, physical fitness is huge yes. everyone's everyone is different so you have to be able to understand individual differences between people responses and behavior their attitudes people have different willpower different kind of behavioral traits yeah. so if you're just essentially copying and pasting your program to someone else Cookie cutters. It's not going to work. And most coaches, online coaches now, as a whole in the industry, they tend to be very good at getting people to a certain point. And then when the results stop Mm. or that person hits a roadblock, their knowledge is just not good enough to understand why that roadblock has occurred and push on past that. And even, I'm not, obviously, I'm not into being negative towards other people or calling people out as such. I won't mention but it, is any a, name. it is an issue in the industry. It's a huge issue because I know of, I've been told of a trainer friend of mine told me he had a client come to him and they were an ex client of a very prominent personal training business. Yeah. And he had two clients come within the same week. One was, I believe, a celiac, lactose intolerant female, and the other was just a general healthy female. The two of them were given the exact same nutrition plan, mm. which both included yogurt uh, yogurt and berries for breakfast and for wholemeal toast or something so crazy uh, and but you have yogurt being prescribed to both a female lactose intolerant woman <laughs> yeah. and a normal so healthy that's woman a, that's a good example of um just someone who's shit at their job yeah well, and not being cognizant of like you said earlier about the subjectivity of mm-hmm. each person the individuality of each person yeah. is coming and saying to this person i'm going to give you money to help me get into good condition, to help me get fitter, all that kind of stuff, and it's just disrespectful to himself, whoever the chap is. But we're not gonna, no, <laughs> we're not gonna put the name out there. But yeah, um, I am on a path, as I mentioned to you before we came on air, of one of my goals for twenty seventeen is to upskill my own knowledge mm. or upscale my own knowledge on the science behind. Yeah. Why I do what I do, like why I eat so many grams of carbs. Yeah this day and not on that day you know the the, the impact of omega on mm. my body the impact of protein yeah. on my you know the the 
reparation of my muscles after I lift mm. really hard. Um, so I, that's one of my strong, my biggest goals for this year. So let's talk a little bit about HPA, Human okay. Performance Advancement. Brilliant. And that is, it's your baby, isn't it? Yeah, it started, let me think now, would have been around whenever Ireland was playing Germany in the Europe qualifiers last year. So, so that was October. October. I started know the exact date. Yeah, <laughs> started a bit before that. So we're talking maybe mid-September, October, and sitting down on the couch. And I, as Irish people, and you know yourself, we're a nation of complainers <laughs> and not doers. So scrolling through Facebook, yeah. just seeing ridiculous bullshit essentially misinformation it's like and i'd sit there and once you get a bit of knowledge you're kind of sitting there and you're like lies lies no that's so wrong. give the listeners a bit of background and how did you get to the point where you were sitting on your couch and knowing that this was misinformation had you studied before like, yeah sure um well i've always kind of been interested within health and fitness and from about 12 years of age i as most people overweight child in early childhood now I'm not going to <laughs> try to give some sort of sob story because that wouldn't be true but uh, once I got about 12 years eight, eight of age I got interested kind of in push-ups running that kind of thing yeah. and that trend followed right through secondary school got involved with martial arts around 11 12 years old so competed within that right through up until two or three years ago I kind of stepped away from that so competed both nationally and internationally mm. in karate and then played football right through it all. And that led me to starting up a degree in sport and exercise sciences oh, out of the University good. of Limerick, which I am currently just in the final semester, finished that up now. And all going to plan, I'm starting a PhD come September's time, prepping for it now, and start in September looking at kind of metabolism and muscle function recovery and uh, kind of metabolic pathways and all the role. My one personally will be looking at the role of that magnesium plays within muscle recovery and then cardiovascular health and right. a whole range of these things and kind of a few side projects and yeah. stemming from that. Right. And then, so that brought so me... All of those led to the, the moment on the couch yeah. where you were, you'd had enough by the sounds of it, had you? Essentially, just frustration, like, because you follow, when you start out, as most people know, you start out in your health and fitness, you want to get into the gym, you go on to Google, you go on to YouTube and... <laughs> There is tons of information. The information is there, but it's very conflicting. If someone puts in the best way to lose fat, mm. you'll either first debate you hear you need to do exercise, you don't need to do exercise, yeah. it's all nutrition, it's 80-20%. Then once you get into that, what type of exercise? Oh, you need to be doing cardio. No, you need to be doing resistance training. Oh, yeah, do cardio with, on an empty stomach. Yeah. This, don't eat carbs after 5 o'clock. This carbs, you like <laughs> carbs devil sugar and for people that go a bit beyond knowledge insulin then is demonized as well oh, for wrongly sake. we're not even going to get a chance to talk about gluten by the way no that's <laughs> oh yeah and it's again that uh, where i think the gluten thing really came from was uh sport i think it was was it Djokovic? i think it was Djokovic. Yeah, it was. Da- Djokovic did a year uh gluten free and his performance went through yeah. the roof he won a championship but no one said for the years that he won the grand slams when he was eating gluten. It's just the one year he happened to win yeah. it while off gluten. It's another example of the correlation <laughs> yeah, causation, causation. Uh, video that we discussed and I hope we'll discuss a bit in this podcast yeah. before we finish. So before we get that, so yeah, I was on the couch looking through this and I said I had enough and like social media, a lot of my business and a lot of your kind of message spread through social media but yeah. 
anyone that's really involved in it, trying to put out good message, you're in a love-hate relationship with social media because mm. it's a great platform for interaction, but it's also a great place for exploitation and people put out false information. Yes. So I was there, and Paul, Paulie, one of best friends, and also one of the other coaches with me in HBA, also finishing up his undergrad and hopefully going on to a master's in physiotherapy. He was sitting beside me, and I turned to him and I was like, Paul, what do you think the name Human Performance Advancement? And to be honest, Paul, <laughs> he's nearly sick of me at this stage. I often go on rants. I'll see some misinformation or something that's wrong, and, and I'll go on two, three-minute rants of uh, saying, that's wrong because this, this, this. And Paul, will usually be like, oh, yeah, Dave, that's yeah, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, He's just sick of me at this stage. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a good name. He's like, what is it? I was like, I'm just starting a Facebook page, kind of. Ideally, it started off just being sports science. Yeah. It was for the sports science student. It was a main avatar demographic I was aiming. And then kind of okay we'll do a bit around general breaking down science it was break down that kind of because academics and research tends to put themselves on a pedestal mm. and it's whether it's to fulfill their own ego or whatever but to put themselves up there and they don't make their content accessible to the yeah. everyday person yeah so like as a trainer student researcher we engage in research papers and we read this but if anyone has ever as a normal person tried to read a research paper yeah it'll put you to sleep and especially First of all, the language you use, mm. unless you have a prerequisite knowledge, mm. you can't understand the paper fully. So we tried to break down that science into easy-to-understand terms for the sports science students or someone who had a bit of knowledge. And then stemmed from that, that kind of grew a bit. And I thought, first of all, that I was going to be getting sports science students, people that were engaging in the gym, yeah. kind of fitness fanatics. And then everyone... and. You know yourself, when you start off kind of a Facebook community, every single new like that oh, comes out of the page, <laughs> you're looking at them and like, who are they? Yeah, what, yeah, where, did, where did it come from? But every like was then associate professor, wherever, yeah. researcher. The academics, the ones that I was trying to break down the information, mm, that's to interesting. Go, they were the ones that were following the page and the ones that were interacting and sharing the content. And they were engaging in debates. So even though we started off initially trying to aim to the lower levels, mm. start group, and then came in the way of a personal trainers. So mm. people I thought wouldn't be interested in the information that they thought they already knew it. They were the ones following the content and getting the most from it. And then it grew from there and over a couple of months. And then I got the idea, maybe, well, first of all, it grew there. And then I said, okay, we're not hitting the right mark. We need to start maybe breaking down. So we started doing more simplified getting people that were interested and then we got the fitness fanatics coming in yeah. but then again they were interacting but from the comments and everything I could see they didn't actually understand what yeah. I was trying to say you okay. can tell a lot by the way people engage whether they fully understood because the questions as someone is trying to put out information or educate you can gauge how well you're doing by the levels of questions that come yeah. into you and the nature of the questions mm. so a lot of times you get questions in and like geez and it's very easy for someone that's involved in the health and fitness community to kind of be blind to people's ignorance as such that stuff that you take for granted, like, geez, everyone knows that. Yeah. But then you go back, because a lot of times on our Snapchat, um, HP advancement for anyone that wants top-level education there, add us there. But a lot of times you're putting out information and you're getting questions in, and like, Jesus, I thought I, people knew that. Yeah. And you're repeating, and people are saying, oh, you repeat yourself a lot there. And there's usually people that are involved in the community yes, say you're yes. repeating yourself a lot. 
But when you take a step back, because within our own community, within the fitness community and health, you tend to only associate with people on the same knowledge yeah. and already know it. But when you actually take a step out and go into a just general population, the knowledge is not there. People, no. And it also goes back to what you were saying earlier, that people have the best, or generally have the best intentions when looking stuff up. But the yeah. amount of confliction that's and it. misinformation, like that's where I would put myself. That's mm-hmm. the category I would put myself in currently until I really get involved in learning this year about the type of stuff yeah. that you guys are putting out. Um, but with all that conflicting information, of course they're not going to know. No. And that's what led us onto forming the company as such. So I started thinking about different ways I could go about it and come the summertime, I'm a big fan of, and you're a big fan, I know, of Danny Lennon from yeah. Sigma Nutrition. And in terms of, of anyone that has a decent level of knowledge already and are looking to prove his podcast, it's, it's the world's leading nutrition podcast, evidence-based yeah. podcast. And I just, I use that term a lot and people, evidence-based, when we talk about what is evidence-based practice, mm. we're talking about using scientific principles yes. and applying them to coaching. A lot of people just use anecdotal, or oh, I use this with people in works. And true evidence-based practice, because there tends to be two camps where people are like, oh, science is the only thing. Yeah. And then other people are like, no, experience is the only thing. Okay. Where Can it not be both? It has to be. True evidence-based practice is a combination. If you have a coach that's been doing something for 30 years, yeah. they mightn't have any scientific prowess, but they understand people and they know exactly yeah. what they need to do. So they're applying scientific knowledge without even knowing they're doing it. Yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, they could be using some advanced method, like, oh, well, I get them to do this and this. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why do you get them to do that? I don't know, I just find that it works. Yeah. Where the scientific, like in theory, that's exactly what you should be doing. Oh, so true okay. evidence-based practice, you need to merge the both. Mm. You need to understand the scientific theory is a guideline mm. and then apply that to every individual, but then understand individuality. I like to use the term, optimal is desirable, but adherable is key. So yeah. we want to do essentially what is optimal in terms of we think this is the best thing you can do. But unless you're able to do that consistently, it's it's no good to you. Yeah. So I can design what is physiologically the best trainer plan and nutrition plan. But you might say, geez, it's torture. So you're not going to keep it up long term. <laughs> so I started the I started up my own podcast and it was something and I was hesitant to do it at first and something we can touch on later on, and that's the fear of judgment essentially, or just the fear of actually going and doing something. So particularly in the area that you were stepping into, because you're yeah. always gonna guess the person who says you're wrong and that, for X, Y, and Z, and mm, it's going to be difficult to have that debate, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the big fear within the community. It's, we kind of, I suppose we can talk about the progression of the company as a kind of journey. We can use yeah. the podcast as a journey through where we are today because yeah. there's a lot of stepping stones along the way. So I was humming and hawing, and then, because it's something I always wanted to do and put out education, but there is that innate fear of, judgment you're like mm. people are afraid to put themselves out there and advice i'd give to anyone that's looking to start up and put out content you will always get someone that disagrees with you yes or says you're an idiot or that's complete horseshit or whatever and one thing that people tend to do and i was putting out content and in the early days it's something i had to learn to kind of deal with you put out content and i remember one particular post and I remember the reach on Facebook was, I think it went up to 150,000 people was reached. Yeah. And it was one real controversial thing, and that was, should children lift weights? Hmm. Should children be engaged in weight training? And this sparked off York, and a really good post. It's and a I, good question. Yeah, well, 
they should essentially but as in they don't need to be bodybuilders but there's no harm in children engaging in resistance training yeah. or a resistance training program once you understand the individual response once they're doing it within a controlled way exactly and you have someone not just it. pushing them in the door closing it and saying yeah. work away there it has to be managed yeah, they need proper exercise uh, supervision and everything but in terms of all the mitts it's done scrot that's complete myth as well myth alert myth <laughs> alert <laughs> like if you want to go to anecdotal, Arnold Schwarzenegger started when he was what thirteen. He's yeah. six foot whatever. Yeah. I'm an example. I'm five foot eight at a push <laughs> now. But um, no, lifting yeah, weights is not stunt. Did you growth. start lifting weights at twelve? Um, I would engage. I'd say around. I started six months doing just body weight exercise. That's yeah. how I started off and yeah. chin ups and that kind of thing. Then got in. I had a weight set at home. Yeah. Got into doing that for a couple of years. Well, you you were a child though. That's my question. I was a child. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I you still were, am a child. You, you weren't like me. I was thirty two when I started. So uh. yeah, I started during early adolescence. But there is no harm. And some of the best weightlifters in the world. If you look at the Olympics, mm. they start the top ones start when they're three or four years of age. Nice. So there's no. Now, they're obviously the early specialization is a big thing for them, and whether or not it's ethically correct. Yeah. But from physiology and biomechanics and everything, once they're doing it properly yeah. and using the correct volumes and yes. and their training load is in monitored, there's no problem with yeah. children engaging in. And so, it's actually, it's beneficial for them. Yeah, anything. It's not like people are like, oh, is it good? Is it bad for them? It's like it's actually good for them once it's done properly once it's controlled once it's controlled so what was the what was the negative response to the, the so 150,000 that, that was yeah big debate people were humming and hawing and that was fine and that was actually generally people just had a meaningful debate there and then following up to that there was another post i put up and that was physique versus knowledge because a lot of people within the health and fitness industry every second person on instagram is now an online coach mm. But their only unique selling point is their physique. Yeah. Every picture is them topless. Yeah. And some generic bullshit statement underneath of motivation. You can too reach your goals. <laughs> Email for online coaching. So they have hundreds of posts and no actual education for the followers yeah. under item. So I put up a post and it was a fitness model versus, uh, I think it was Professor Stone, I believe. Mike Stone, one of the world's most renowned professors and research in strength and conditioning and he's worked with athletes in the US Olympic team and everything and my Very whole clever. point was but if you look at this this is a man in his 60s tweed yeah, jacket yeah. moustache did you say, who would you rather be who would you by? rather train by <laughs> and of course this sparked a huge debate but a lot of people that got huge share shared everywhere and I'd say I had maybe at the time I looked at 90 comments supporting my view and in support of what I was saying and then one negative comment coming back against me. Oh, okay. okay. But, I, was, I, was, I was curious yeah. what the split was going to be, but that's yeah. pretty... Uh, and, but the thing is, what did I focus on? The, the one. one negative comment. I'm the type of person, when someone says something, I'll just think about it. I over-obsess about everything I tend to do. Well, and just listen, think. You're, not, you're not alone, <laughs> Dave. I, sp I sat here at this, in this exact seat with Derek O'Boyle last week mm. from Natural Harmony Hypnosis, and uh, we spent a lot of time talking about our natural mm. tendency towards negative yeah. bias. Exactly. And I found that I had never heard of that before. He said it to me, and it made so much sense. And that's what you're describing there. Exactly, because even though 90% of people are saying, great job, you did that, one individual... Who I don't know, don't know his name, never met the person, had a negative opinion, and yeah. that's what you focus in on. Yeah. And 
that's what people tend to focus in on when they try to do anything yeah. that goes outside the social norm or the yeah. social yeah. setting to try to basically achieve something or set a trend or yeah. something new and we tend to focus in that negativity and it's kind of learning to separate that and just ignore that so what did you do to to prevent yourself from just throwing in the towel and you know how we got onto this point is you mm. saying it's scary putting yourself out there it is especially from an evidence knowledge base yeah where you know you're going to be putting things out there that you're going to be challenged by how do you deal with that fear on a personal level yeah because especially and starting up a business then again is scary as well so yeah it is there is times where you will sit there and you'll question yourself and say geez am i just spinning the wheels here is there anyone getting content and you think about packing it in or potentially but one thing i tend we tend to have a fear of actually going and doing something for the fear of being judged Hmm. so that's everyone has that innate fear but we tend to fear being judged by people the first thing we don't know unfortunately we don't actually care about because there's a lot of people say oh, i don't care what people think but everyone cares what people think to a certain degree yeah. so we tend to focus on looking for gratitude like within the current world and society we have this our gratification and self-worth comes from social media and <laughs> facebook yeah. likes so we tend to have a fear of putting ourselves out there that someone we don't know and whose opinion we don't really value yeah. will judge us. Mm. And I think the question you have to ask yourself anytime you're faced with this negative comments or you're thinking and you're down in yourself and you're saying, is this worthwhile? How do we deal with that negativity? You ask yourself a simple question. Um, do I enjoy what I'm doing first and foremost? Am I giving value to people? And then, probably most important, do the people that I actually care about and support me, are their opinions yeah. bad? Like, the thing is, my girlfriend, family, friends, mm. they're the people you actually care about's opinion yeah. or you should care about. So if they're saying, no, what you're doing is really good, yeah. I support you, they're that's the all, pe- you, should that's all you should be focusing on. Yeah. Not some keyboard warrior stranger on Facebook yeah. who you're never going to meet probably. Yeah doesn't really give value to anyone themselves no, I, I think you make a really important point here and because uh, it's something not just people who are setting up knowledge-based performance mm. page any it's, industry it's it's it, not even just industry though yeah. it's personal yeah in your personal life i think it's a really valid point the more that you can let that type of stuff wash over you yeah. the happier you'll be i mean some people go to the extremes of leaving social media yeah. forever i personally don't feel the need to do that because i've came, i've come up with my own way mm-hmm. of you know letting it boing flip bounce off me you know yeah. if there is ever any negative negative feedback uh, against my message and um, but i think the greater the the more you do develop an ability to let it wash over you the happier you'll be because definitely uh, and we see a lot of unhappiness based on people responding to negative feedback online you know? and it's not even online it's or even within starting your own business entrepreneurship if you are within a commercial setting or your workplace mm. a lot of people are afraid to really put the effort into their own work for fear of what their colleagues will judge and there's a lot of people that have a lot of untapped potential that they don't really show to their colleagues and that because they're afraid like what their brown nose and they're trying to show off and a lot of times a lot of people really don't understand the effect that their words can have on others within a work setting that you could say one negative comment to someone and to you you the person that gives a negative comment they don't think about it ever again but that one person can obsess around that comment yeah and that's something that's not really understood where and again that person 
might have a strong support base at home. They might have family and friends that really care about them. And they go home, the family and friends are giving them great support. Mm. But that one person they don't like as a person, they don't like that colleague, they're not friends with them. But yeah, it's their it's exactly simple the opinion. Di- it's exactly that the same dynamic yeah. you spoke about when yeah. you got the 90 exactly. support to comments. It's that one, one opinion, a negative yeah. opinion from that one person you don't actually care about. Yeah. If you dare, if you asked whose opinions do you, if I asked an individual whose opinions do you care about, they'll yeah. say, oh, my friends, family, whoever. And it's like, that colleague at work, they were giving out these says, not a nice person will say, <laughs> do you care about their opinion? No. But then if that one person they don't care about yeah. gave a negative comment, it's very easy yeah. to obsess yeah. on that negativity. Exactly. I think people need to be aware that they have the power to not obsess and mm-hmm. to, if you, if, if people have an awareness that they are over-focusing on the negative bias of the one per, mm. one person or the one commenter, then then you can do something about it. I think it's very difficult if you're just not aware of it. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we are <laughs> discussing that here yeah. today. So human performance advancement yeah. grew from a couch, couch, a Facebook page, yeah, an interesting uh, eclectic mix of unexpected followers. Debate started happening. Then you came up with the idea of setting up the company. Yeah. So, so what happened then? So the podcast then came. I was humming and hawing, and then, as we said, the fear of judgment. And then one day, girlfriend, I'll give Isha a shout out now. Hi, <laughs> she always says I don't ever give her a shout out on Snapchat or that. She's getting a shout out now. One day she said, "Who gives a shit? Just go for it. If it fails, it fails." Yeah. You know what I mean? So she bought me the microphone. Yeah. Set up. I. Actually, an employee at Dominic Munley, Matty Nagel Fitness, yeah. out in the Performance Academy, gone to touch with him. He was the first one. I went over to the Performance Academy, re-recorded the podcast, Deadly. talked for ages, and then Matty's listening. <laughs> he often jokes that uh, when you're big and famous, I'm the one that popped your cherry. That was <laughs> <laughs> Matty said yeah. that to me that day. Just, I'm, oh, coming, I'm coming yeah. for you too, Matty, so, <laughs> so be prepared. So And then I was very lucky that from then on, my subsequent guest was Arthur Lynch, PhD fellow down in University of Limerick and also coach with Danny Lennon at Sigma Nutrition. Mm. He got me Danny. Then, so I started off with Matty, Arthur, and then Danny was a big guest for me at the time, relatively. Yeah. Danny was huge. Anyone yeah. in the fitness industry really respects him. Yeah. He came on the podcast. And then I emailed Chance My Arm. A lot of people say, how do you get these guests on? Like, I emailed them. It's yeah. as simple as I network. I send them a message. There's always people, put these people up on pedestals as well. There are people behind the Facebook or behind exactly. the social media. So sent, but Eric Helms, Mike Isretel, huge names within the fitness industry, some of the yeah. biggest names in the world. They came back on, and once they were guests, three, four, and five, yeah. Greg Knuckles as well, yeah. I had set a standard yes. for the podcast yeah. that these were world-leading experts. Mm. And then it was very easy after that, subsequently, the guests just wheeled, yeah. and then... Thankfully, those guests at the very beginning have a big following themselves. Yeah. So by them sharing the podcast, yeah. that grew, and the podcast then has it's uh, roughly six months old now, and is listened to. And about last time I checked, I think seventy three countries. Absolutely amazing. It's listened to, and and if people want to listen to the podcasts after listening to this one, yeah, what should they search for on you, iTunes? On iTunes, HPA podcast should come up. Uh, head over to our Facebook page. I do all the plugs now. Get them out of the way. Human Performance Advancement on Facebook and the website www.hpascience.com. Right. I was going for hpa.com, but the Harry Potter Alliance. 
Those I found out is a thing. Those feckers. <laughs> so it took ages to get the name. So that's what went with <laughs> All the links to any podcast can be found up there. So the podcast grew. I started getting a bit of a follow on and I said, everyone was doing a kind of fitness page. You know, it's mm. someone's, it's very simple. It's a template for anyone who's looking at fitness. Yeah. First name, second name, fitness. Yeah. That's it. David Nolan Fitness. Thank you, Fitness. Yeah, yeah. And that's a Facebook page. Where well, I went with a brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Human performance advancement, although it's myself and the lads doing most of the work, it's not one individual. It's yeah. a brand yeah. that we're pushing. And so I set that up different. And But uh, instead of just doing, we offer really what I would call some of the highest level online personal training you can get within the industry, very personalized and to the individual and high levels of contact. So we did that one, but we didn't also want that. We wanted to be media content. So yeah. we're putting that out through Facebook. And then also seminars are a big thing with us. Yeah. So we give workshops in transition year programs to yeah. TYs around fitness in the social media, yeah. misinformation and manipulation and stuff mm. goes on. And then general health, nutrition, training, advice. And also as it's TY, I like to give uh, introduction to sports science and exercise science and health as a career to them Excellent. as well and showing them what routes are yeah. potentially down that avenue. So you're getting them while they're young there. I think that's mm. a really important thing to happen right now especially given what we've discussed already about all the misinformation to be able to have transition year yeah. for my american and canadian followers and uk followers transition year is the year between the oh, they're not going to know what junior cert is no. <laughs> Feck it. okay so it's when the kid is about 15 14 15 yeah. between 15, 15 and 16, 16 yeah and after you do your state exams your your first state exams you have the opportunity to have a year of work experience before you move on to the higher the later exams when you're 18 so um great to get in and have that message given to kids at that age yeah because there was never within school we get speakers in every week in transition year or whatever yeah. but within the whole six years you were there there's never anything given to your health with SPHE or and that, yeah, and yeah, PE, the PE for most people, unfortunately, consists of playing soccer week yeah. in, week out, or for a lot of them, not participate and finding some reason not to yeah. participate. So the PE curriculum, I know, it's been restructured at the moment, so hopefully it'll bring better education component. But people come out, they don't understand nutrition, don't yeah. understand. I mean, the anti- irony is it's physical education. Yeah, it's and there's no to be education. education. So I seen that gap in the market and seeing that kind of gap in people's education and understanding mm. and I got in contact with my old TY coordinator and said look at I have this idea for a workshop do you mind if I come in and do a pilot workshop essentially with transitioners so I went in very well received but what really highlighted that showed me the questions they were asking and also just their general knowledge mm. was awful like the only place the 16 year old learns about health and fitness is from social media mm. which is usually through people that are trying to manipulate them into buying a product or a detox supplement or a detox is the yeah. new thing so basically yeah. liquid laxative for anyone that's yeah. interested that's all any of those things are in yeah. London or, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes but Don't essentially what was the really kind of hit home and brought it down to me I do a thing with these transition years where the first thing I go into class, I get them to take out your mobile phone, type in this link, and that brings them to an anonymous survey. And within that survey, I can see the results come up real time on the board That's in front amazing. of the class. And the question was, I have used a fat loss supplement. 
So these are kids at 15, 16 years of age and I have used a fat loss supplement. The three options were yes, no, or I would if I had the money. Yeah. One third of the class at 16 years of age, a mix of both boys and girls, had used a fat loss supplement. And what, what would you include in fat loss supplements? So these are people, I explained it to them, if anyone's taking a fat burner, mm. a detox uh, supplement for the aim of losing weight. Yeah. So any supplement that you buy within a health store yeah. or chemist with the aim of it making you lose weight or body fat. One third had used one, one third would use one if they had the money, and then one third approximately across, and this is a trend to see across most transition year groups, it comes in about split into thirds. So we have 66%, just a pure this anecdotal evidence, just from what I've observed yeah. in any group I've been in, we have about 60, 66% of 15 to 16 year old boys and girls in Ireland have that I have would. used or would use a fat loss supplement if they had the so money. So that's an indication of the impact of mm. what they're exposed to on social media as yeah. Exactly. So these are people that are coming into the leaving start cycle, shouldn't have these additional stress. So I always say your exercise and nutrition should be a benefit. It is to benefit and be a positive addition to your life. But unfortunately for so many of us, our nutrition and exercise is a negative stressor within our life, is a source of stress. And especially coming into... And a very vulnerable time for people, mid-adolescence. Yeah. And yeah. being secondary school, people say, oh, kids have no worries with that. But the mental strain that secondary school does tend to put on a lot of mm. our kids, unfortunately, they don't need this addition of their body image and oh, I need yeah. to lose fat and fit these social norms. Yeah. Especially, and that's why they start obsessing again on the negative and grades suffer, they're yeah. outgoing, they're personality a lot of the time can suffer their confidence yeah. then as well because secondary school although and transition year builds a lot of confidence a lot of people for some individuals it takes it away it can take it away yeah. we have people that come in very outgoing individuals into secondary school and mm. they're just fed negativity during adolescence and come out a very inward and mm. withdrawn person unfortunately yeah, that's really really sad and i think that the work that you're doing with the transition year students is so great it's nearly like a prevention mm. a preventative piece yeah. for the like when they're in their 20s and in my case it went all the way up to my 30s with the worst attitude towards food the yeah. work like you were just saying about nutrition and exercise being a stressor you have yeah. no idea yeah like i was just like completely that way until I met Meg Brown and Stephen Obar from Weight Loss Rebels and you know I started lifting mm, yeah. some weights and I started being a bit more well I suppose curious is how it started mm. I needed to be become curious about what I was putting into my mouth yeah. <laughs> and yeah I mean I, I developed I'd lost like probably three stone three and a half mm. stone but all through lifting yeah all through lifting and not not that much cardio but um just did it when it whenever I needed to, you know, and I'm still on that path now. But I just think that if you can get that type of message across to yeah. that age group that it's an absolute joy, it's a it's energy giving, it's yeah. it's essential instead of it being a stressor. Yeah. Then imagine how much better their self esteem and their life will be. Yeah, and that and people see it as just their health. If any potential employers, one of the other things we run is corporate wellness mm. because the ability to be, lead a healthy lifestyle and product productive lifestyle while yeah. balancing that nine to five that's a yeah. around because adults as well yeah. the misinformation but we go back to the students um yeah the feedback from the students was huge but one thing i tried to kind of leave with them and and part with them i could go into any group and say you need 
this type of carbohydrate, these are bad, you need to do X amount of exercise. And to be honest, I'm stressed even listening they're to going that. to come out from it, they're not going to remember it. And I will never go into a group and say, this is the exact program you need to do. Because yeah. you have 30 people that are individual, that you can't yeah. prescribe a program to them. What I try to impart with them is a mindset rather than technical knowledge i love that because technic if you get them mindset right at the beginning they can go and educate themselves yeah i can come in and lecture you on anyone that knows i love getting down into metabolic physiology that yeah. chemical structures this kind of stuff yeah. that most people <laughs> don't give a shit about you need to pick yeah. your audience for you, that exactly <laughs> you know what I mean? no one gives a shit so i can go in and this is what a lot of people try to do they go into a place and they talk about this and it is just for them trying to build your own ego and show yeah. I'm smart I understand all this yeah. you don't yeah. whereas in I can go in and few bullet points explain something without going into any science and that's what they'll take value from I know myself I can go as deep into technical knowledge as they want but, but you, you don't have to your audience. Yeah, you have to know your audience and who you're speaking to so I try to instill with these kids critical thinking and skepticism people often say oh you're a skeptic but being a skeptic is good when it's employed properly exactly so the exact thing and if there's any message for anyone listening in terms of anyone that ever is considering fat loss pills weight loss pills this is the point that i echo again and again obesity costs u.s government within the range indirectly indirectly 20 to 50 billion dollars a year that's stats from i think 2012 so in 2012 it costs between 20 to 50 billion dollars it's an astronomical amount of money if any fat loss supplement or pill was ever proven to work yeah. you would not have to buy it yeah, exactly. the government would be distributing this and sending out to obesity costs them a fortune they have research teams yeah. tackling obesity because and governments they don't really care about health as such yeah. it all comes down to economics with the government yeah. a healthier population is a more productive and cost effective yeah. population for them so they want to reduce obesity as much yeah. so if any fat loss pill detox anything like this ever worked grenade any of those <laughs> if they worked you would not have to buy them they would be given out but yet we don't and the thing is i can go into any group and it's one i do with corporate wellness groups yeah. i ask the question and usually these are room full of educated people yeah. how many people here think there is a pill or tea you can take that will make you lose weight and will get rid of your fat loss not one person would put up the hand but if i asked anonymously how many of you have used a fat loss supplement yeah. or detox you will have maybe half the group that has especially when we get into this kind of people that are in the corporate environment might have a bit more disposable income yeah. they tend to be selling buying these supplements yeah. so even though an individual everyone is intelligent and they know it doesn't work but we don't it's buy this. on intelligence we buy on emotion yeah. and still these, sucked yeah, in these, I've, I've been yeah, there loads yeah. of times and the thing is even though we're intelligent we know it doesn't work we always have that one and people think they're the only one we always have that message or that kind of thought yeah, I know it doesn't work, but maybe it'll work for, for me. me. Yeah, That's the message people think. Maybe I'm the exception. It'll work for me. Cause, and the companies know, people don't buy on intellect. They buy on emotion, yeah. and companies tap into oh, this they know. emotion. They know, yeah. of course they do. It's and that's it. Why they're so rich. And they try to put out, oh, our aim is to improve the lives of our, of our consumers. Like, it's economics at the end. They, they, people it's try bull, it's bullshit. Say it what it is. And believe me, I 
when my morals <laughs> weren't as strong in my teenage years, I worked for for four and a half years between two separate major chain health yeah. stores. Yeah. I worked in the two of them, and I've seen people come in and you work on commission in those stores. Yeah. You have a minimum. You your aim is to sell every person that comes in four products. What? This is the minimum, and if you're not selling an average four products to a person, you're getting disciplined. You're saying, "Why aren't you selling this? This person mightn't even need anything. They come into shop, and you could say, you oh, know, there's so many ethical yeah. considerations there that just don't sit right." And this is a phone. company that pushes their green image oh, quite prominently, and it's a big international company, global actually, and they push that green image. And I know the same company throws out millions of euro worth of food every year in terms of expired nuts, seeds, yeah, thrown out. Yeah. So. That is the big thing these companies do, and it's very easy. And as someone has worked for a commission, the easiest sale you will ever get is someone coming for weight loss. Yeah, you can sell someone and bodybuilders also. Yes, you any new product they are willing to try, yeah. and anyone that is because on the weight loss. Because they'll be the exception. Yeah, to think no, it'll work for me. Yeah. So that's one thing I'd like people to take away is like, <laughs> if I them worked, you wouldn't have to buy them. And that is the big thing. And another thing about misinformation of science and misinterpretation of science. People will all say, but they're allowed to make the claims. You will see on the box, scientifically proven to burn fat. Yeah, what does that mean exactly? So if we talk about that, it is very easy. All you need to prove, and without going too technical, any research study you get, you need to prove statistical significance. Okay. So to break that down, people will hear 95% confidence in their p-value, 0.5. And for anyone looking to the outside, this is gobbledygook. You can't understand it. So to make statistical significance easy... All you need to do is, if we take a fat loss supplement, say a fat burner, a pill, you need to prove that it makes a difference compared to a placebo. And when we say 95% confidence, that means we are 95% confident that the change difference we saw was not down to chance. Right. So if you can, you can use statistical equations to do this. So basically you're saying, okay, so if I have a placebo and a fat burner and we look at calories burned, if the fat burner comes out as statistically significant, that means that it did make a difference. But, and, and that's all you need to prove, if it's statistically significant, you can put that claim on it, uh, fat burner, or scientifically proved to burn fat. And with those claims, you can stretch it like proven to blast away fat. And then asterisk their study, that yeah. a lot of times they may have funded their own study, yeah. and... But that's no problem. But even if you prove statistical significance, there's a big difference between real-world significance and statistical significance. So I'm going to do a YouTube video on this maybe, I think, today or tomorrow. I'm planning on doing it. There is one study looking at these fat burners. And I used the fat burners as an example. They used a placebo. So just a sugar pill versus a fat burner during an exercise bout to see how many pills. So on the placebo group, they burnt... uh, I don't know the figures straight offhand, but I know the difference. So it's say 320 calories mm. burned in the placebo group on average. Now that's on average across a group of 10 to 15. Okay. So within that, there's a big error. Yeah. And then on the other group, the fat burner, on average, they burn 340 calories. So they burn 20 calories more in 30 minutes of exercise. But, but that didn't is, look at any of the other factors. But even if we look at just that, so that's a 20-calorie increase, that is statistically significant. Oh, come on. Once we go within the maths, we know, yes, it has made a difference. So t- statistically, there is a significance. So that's how they sell it. Yeah, we can say proven, but 20 calories. Oh, if we bring gosh. that to the real world, a cup of tea, the cup of tea I'm drinking here, there's more than likely more than 20 calories of milk within that cup of tea. Yeah. So... 
if we take that, you can either spend 30, 40, 50 euro a month on these pills that will make you possibly burn 20 calories more a day. Yeah. Or you can drink one less cup of tea or you can eat one less Brazil nut. There's actually more than 20 calories in one Brazil nut. But there's also yeah. mostly caffeine in these pills, Yeah, right? And that's the only so thing. just have a couple of extra cups of coffee without the, the milk. Thing. For anyone that is interested in just caffeine, if you go on to any of the... Um, I don't endorse any supplement companies. We're not affiliated. But discount supplements or bulk powders, they sell the... Uh, not discount supplements, sorry. Bulk powders or my protein. Yeah. They sell just the raw products. You oh, can buy okay. a bag of caffeine, 100 grams of caffeine, for 5 99 <laughs> Now, the little scoop comes in, It's people can't see, but it is tiny, because you need about uh, 200 milligrams of yeah. caffeine, so one-fifth of a gram yeah. of caffeine you would use. And that's all these pills contain, about 200 milligrams. So you can use a little scoop, add into water and drink yeah. that. So if we have, what, that's, five, that's 500 servings in a bag for five ninety nine. So that's nearly two years worth of caffeine, worth of these pills, for five ninety nine or thirty euro a month, thirty forty fifty euro a month. I think um, our listenership are going to get so much out of this particular mm. piece of this podcast because my yeah. my, my, my my jaws on the yeah. floor here. I'm and like, that's how what? they they prove. But within, if we go back to statistical sniffing, so they proved group A, group B, twenty calories in difference. But you've got to remember any research you look at, you are not looking at an individual. You are looking at the average value yeah. for 10 15 people yeah. so within each of those groups we have what we call intra no inter individual uh differences yeah so basically differences between one person yeah, to the next exactly. so if we give group a the placebo and the average burn was 320 calories but that could range from two some person burned 250 calories exactly. upwards and but they'd be close enough around the same if you look at the fat burner group you could have 15 individuals where compared to placebo, one person might have burned 30 calories more, another person might have burned 20 calories less, yeah. and another person mightn't have made any difference yeah. at all. So you have your average. But on average, they've burned 20 calories more as a group. So you could be one of these people that don't actually respond as well to caffeine. You mightn't be as caffeine sensitive or whatever ingredients in it, and you might be getting no benefit. You might be that individual as a consumer taking it, and you're getting no benefit. So on average... Yes, there is a difference between it. Not real-world significant. It's statistically significant. We can slap that claim. It blasts away fat. But uh, but you could be then, as a consumer taking it, you're not going to notice a difference because you're only burning that extra 20 calories yeah. or whatever. But then you could be one of those people that is like to someone in that cohort, within that study, that you're not a responder. You're wasting money and not getting yeah, any benefit a, at all. Isn't there also the element, David, of like if you were going to up your I suppose your commitment to your training plan mm. that that will be what makes the difference yeah, like it. so I say okay I'm going to buy these, this grenade now or yeah. these whatever sorry I keep endorsing these bastards <laughs> these absolute <laughs> bastards if you're listening um, if you so I bought my month supply of fat burners mm. for 30 euros whatever it is so we're not even talking here about the variable mm. of oh well I'm taking these yeah. so I'm I better stick more that to my is nutrition a big plan, thing. more yeah. to my, my fitness plan. So, guys, instead of buying, spending that 30 mm. euros more, just spend more time committing yeah. yourself to your fitness and nutrition. And that's a big thing. A lot of people will look at these, even these research studies, that oh, you have an uh, intervention group and a control group. So, if I was, you know, the intervention, the yeah. people that you're doing something to, and the control group yeah. is, oh, we, so say you're testing whatever diet mm. or whatever 
weight loss supplement. You bring in 100 people, split them two groups, 50 and 50. Yeah. The 50 people, you say, you weigh them, weigh the 100 in, get their body weight, whatever measure you're taking. Mm. You take the 50 people, give them the supplement, take that for six weeks. And the other 50 people, you say, weigh them and say, go home. We'll come back in six weeks. We don't want you to do anything different. Just come back and we'll weigh at the end. So they come back and... But the thing is, if I bring you in to a university setting, weigh you and tell you, <laughs> now I want you to go home. I'm bringing you back in six weeks. Keep eating McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. For exactly. Three I'm bringing, and the thing is, these people will sign a release form to participate in the study and at the head of that release form is the title the effect of whatever on fat loss on body weight so they know okay this is a body weight study you bring them in weigh them and then i want you to go home don't do anything different and i'm bringing you back to weigh you in six weeks time no matter what effort you make your diet and lifestyle is going to be changed if you know i'm going back to be weighed in two weeks even subconsciously a lot of people overestimate the subconscious level you're moving around more. You're what oh, yeah. we call your niche, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, yeah, yeah. which I'll go into if you want, is probably one of the biggest keys to fat loss that people underestimate. Mm. But that is the difference. And then that's buy you. So if, and that is what happens when you buy a supplement. You buy a fat loss pill and you, said, you say, okay, shit, I'm getting serious now. Because people only tend to get serious when they give money when they're giving away money. Yeah. And that's perfectly understandable. And that's why when people... Well, they're investing. Yeah. When people buy, come to us, get the online coach, and yeah. a lot of people can think, oh, if I pay the money, it's enough. But I make it clear beforehand, this is an investment you're making. I want to know your motivation. Because most online coaches will take everyone. But with us, you apply for online coach, and you fill out the questionnaire, and we do a consultation. And then most people take so you everyone. Do an assessment before you I do an assessment, yeah. On. And I will say, and I'll be honest, I'll say... Yes, we're a good fit for you and you're a good fit for us. We can work together. Or I'll say, your particular goals are outside my kind of speciality. I don't really yeah. deal with your demographic, but I'll always recommend someone yeah. that I respect. I like, you go, and then uh, within business, that's networking, recommending. Yeah. A lot of personal trainers can think you're competing with each other where you need yeah. to have a network. Yeah. But if we go back. I love the consideration mm-hmm. that you put into that because yeah. I think it's a very protective factor for your client base yeah. to know that you have put that much effort into their application exactly to make sure that it's going to work because at the end of the day you have to be able to justify and sleep well at night that because i you don't know how do the guys that don't do, sleep I, at night i don't know because i can't honestly take someone's money and then just send them a copy and pasted plan like a lot of people online coaching a plan if someone applies a plan takes hours put together and not even yeah. hours of actually at the laptop it's hours of thinking and actual yeah thinking what's the best way to go for, for them person. for their goal because a lot of coaches just try to turn their clients into them if they're a power lifter they try to turn their clients into a power lifter if they're a bodybuilder into a bodybuilder and don't think about the individual's needs mm. so that's a big thing with our kind of online coaching and i'm after rambling now i no, was no, talking I like no no i like it i think it's um well, we were talking about fat burners, mm. and we were talking about yeah. the misinformation. And the, do you remember, like, what we got onto was the if you weigh someone and tell mm. them they're coming back that's in six it. weeks, it's, it's not change. really a control group. No, and that's the thing, and that's what happens with fat burners. Someone invests money, say, "Okay, shit, I'm getting serious now." Yeah, and then the their adherability, their adherence to their nutrition and training program yeah. is much more strict. Yeah. And then, of course, the say oh geez those fat burners were great it was like no it's your nutrition and training was very good but you were on the fat burners at the time yeah 
that's my that's yeah. my thoughts on it, and that's know? what tends to happen because I went through it. Sure. Yeah, and that's what people times. And it was Matty. Remember the very first podcast? He was telling me about the. He said that the ex CEO of Weight Watchers, that they had a very good system, and the ex CEO was quoted saying, "The beauty of Weight Watchers is that people come to Weight Watchers, lose weight, and attribute to Weight Watchers to stop gain weight and blame themselves." Yes. And then you blame yourself. It's your fault that you've gained weight, but it's Weight Watchers' um, job and accomplishment that you've lost it. So once you're guilting yourself in, I'm a fat slob, I'm a failure, so I need go to back, go back, back to, to Weight, weight Watchers because they were the ones that helped me lose the weight. That was the that was their yeah. magic pill. Yeah, essentially. And, what and it, they did it all themselves. And what annoys me about any slimming company or any weight loss group, you know, there's some fantastic ones out there, but the problem is weekly weigh-ins and people idea of progression i will do with majority of my clients i have morning weigh-ins i tell them get up go to the toilet stand on the scales note down that number and they usually upload it to an excel file or dropbox yeah. and i tell them ignore that number yeah. and these are people that if they haven't done before then after four weeks i show them a graph of their body weight every day yeah. but what they'll see people think you'll just see a linear graph up, down, up, down, up, down. Your body weight fluctuates yeah. due to a whole the level of sleep you had, your sodium intake the day before, your carbohydrate intake, yeah. your hydration. Insulin. A yeah. huge number of factors affect your body weight fluctuation. I easily myself could see a two kilogram fluctuation, so yeah. that's nearly five pound day yeah. to day. Just day to day, you can go up very easily. Yeah. So the problem is with weekly weighing, where you're aiming to lose, say, three, four, five pounds, you need to be down on weight at nine o'clock Tuesday morning or yeah. ten o'clock Thursday evening whenever it is yeah. that one snapshot in a week exactly. you have to stand on the scale and if you're not down you failed yeah. whereas in you could have just had a fluctuation where yeah. even though you're losing body fat yeah. you're you're on the right trajectory yeah, you're taking in a big potato meal your glycogen stores are high or you're hydrated or you haven't gone to the toilet in a few hours whatever <laughs> it is your weight can fluctuate for a number of reasons so yeah. it, what I like to see, morning weigh-ins, and then what I'll do over then a couple of weeks, put in what on Excel a trend line, Good. and then even though the graph is up and down, you will see a clear trend in it. Yes. We're looking to go down on average over time. Yes. So that's it. And even yeah. for people looking to progress for progression, the weight weighing scales is fine. I use body weight with everyone, but it is only one measure of progression. Exactly. It's a really important point. Say yeah. that again. I will use body weight. I measure body weight with every client, but that is one measure of their progression exactly. and how we monitor them. There is things, and it's highly individualized client to client. Everyone will use photos. I get them to take, and we're very bad at noticing changes within ourselves. Yeah. I have a lot of clients, and some of them, like after 10 weeks, they'll say, oh, I'm starting to notice a difference in my appearance. And you can notice difference within three, four weeks. Yeah. So I put the picture side to side. So we're all, but we're yeah. back all the time mm. to evidence. Yeah. It's always evidence. Like if you want to have somebody who, you know, because a lot of people who come to your type of service to my, my good buddy Stephen Obar, Obar Muscle, he's an online coach who completely individualizes mm. his plans as well and is saying yeah. pretty much a lot of the stuff that you're saying but from Los Angeles. Like evidence, evidence, evidence. So yeah. it has to be photos there. Yeah. And it must be brilliant for you to be able to turn around and go, yeah. but yeah. week three, look at the change. And a lot of times they don't see the change where they'll, they'll just look at it. And we all tend to focus on that one body part we hate. Yeah. That one, oh, I don't like my love handles. I hate that bit of fat in my chest. <laughs> so week to week they look at, 
oh, I still have that bit of fat in my chest. Like, I don't know. I was like, yeah, well, let's look at here at the bottom of your back. Yeah. You've lost fat from there. There's the difference. Yeah. But they don't see that. They focus again on the negative. negative what they see as their weak point. And a lot of people will try, oh, spot reduce fat, another mid busting again. So you can't just lose body fat from one place. You have to lose body fat from all over. And essentially, and then again, for any hope, adolescents, and this is a big one with, I try to push within the TYs, is individuality. Body fat distribution is a huge thing that people need to understand. Where we store body fat is highly individualized. Between men and women, women tend to have this more pear shape to store it within the hips, yeah. within the chest, and then that's down for physiological reasons, for reproduction, the structure, and women tend to have more subcutaneous. So that is the fat under the skin, yeah. the fat you see, mm. where men tend to store less subcutaneous fat mm. and more visceral fat. So yeah. that's the fat in around the organs is visceral fat. Oh, okay. So that's a distribution of that. So even a lot of time when you see people that say they have a fast metabolism, a lot of time they're getting fat, but it's around the organs where you can't actually see it. That's what, so that's, that's, what, that's what's going on for those that's guys. That's what's going on for those guys. They're what we call a toffee, kind of hard on the outside and all soft <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> So that's with them. But within body fat distribution, there's huge, there's a big difference between men and women. But within individual to individual, it's huge. And it's really prominent within women. Some women will eat a lot of food and overeat and gain fat. But they're what I call the lucky ones. They gain fat in aesthetically pleasing areas. Mm. So some women tend to store all their fat in their ass and in their chest yeah. which from a social convention is aesthetically pleasing yeah. so they're lucky where other women tend to store all the body fat within that midsection maybe yeah. on the belly arms mm. or the legs yeah. and that's why you have some two women might be the same body fat percentage and yeah. carry the same amount of fat overall but one carries them in the chest and the butt yeah. and it doesn't and appearance wise there's a slim waist slim yeah. legs they're looking yeah what it'd be aesthetically pleasing where other women store the same amount of body fat yeah. within the stomach and again what exercise can you do to change the way you store body fat none, none. and this is the big thing like and that is the big thing people try to oh i need to tone up my stomach i need to you just need to lose fat overall and eventually it will go from there and it works in reverse if you store the fat in your chest and ass or stored fat in your stomach it works more than likely the same way in reverse yeah. the first place where to go for you yeah. is the chest the yeah. first place to go is the stomach and then the opposite way around some people the very last place yeah. for them for it to go is usually the place that they want to get rid of the most yeah. is that stomach yeah. and the same with men young men is the same shoulder width is a big thing your essential structure so some people have wide shoulders and yes you can put muscle onto any frame and make yeah. it bigger that way but in terms of just shoulder structure if we come down what ultimately governs the width of your shoulders is your bone structure yeah. is your bones yeah. so you can add muscle to that bony frame but what exercise can you do to change the bones Nothing. none and believe me if i could i'd exercise to be taller i would <laughs> i've always said people like people always get obsessed with oh i need to change body fat you can't change your body fat distribution you can't change your bony structure and you can't change your height i have tried you can't change it <laughs> you heard it here mm. first guys <laughs> and i think it's great the fellas that present the workshops with me we have evan and danny uh i stand beside them and if i ever try to illustrate body shapes or individuality yeah. evan is six foot three four yeah. out like this and then i'm standing beside him i was like yeah. and the thing i say if we look at the two of us People say, oh, every squat should look like this. 
Do you think his squat should look like my squat? Do you think yeah. our body mechanics are going to be the same, that we will squat the exact same way? And it's yeah. ridiculous. That's why cookie-cutter programs or copy-and-paste programs work. don't work because they don't take into account individuality. It was interesting. The the first thing Niall Munley said to me when he trained me last year, I did a beginner strength and conditioning course, and he said, man, you were born to squat. But he was referring to my body shape. Yeah, you know, that's it. Some people... I have a lot of strength in my uh, glutes, in my gluteus maximus, yeah. <laughs> broad shoulders, yeah. you know, I'm 5'11", yeah. so I'm not, I'm just, I'm not like lanky or anything yeah. like that, so I was able to like, carry quite a lot, up to 120 kilos on the squats, mm. down and up, and um, Dominic released an excellent video on yeah. the different body shapes. Yeah, that's it, there's huge, there's your and femur so length, shin length. discrepancies. Yeah, oh, huge, like, uh, if you take even bone length is a huge one, your length of your femur, yeah. and not even between people that are tall or short, even within individuals, so you have two people the same height, but they're actual, so if you two people are six foot tall, one person distance between the hip and the knee, that femur length, yeah. might be different within those two people, even though the same height overall, their proportion is different. Yeah. And then, then you go down into things like even the angle that the headed uh, femur attaches or connects into the hip, right. into that hip socket. The angle that that comes into, if that's out or in change different ways. So that's why there is a need for highly yeah, individualized, specialized exactly. training. And then right? another thing, even someone's pelvis, the, you have your pelvis bone, the tilt of that, if there's, you have a neutral one, but if there's a slight anatomical tilt, someone's back might be a bit more arch on it naturally. Right. So you can't expect them to squat the same as everyone else, and you have to be able to identify that first and foremost and right. then accommodate for that. That's amazing. Yeah. And so it's, it really is that individualized. It is, and that's why the standard of education within the industry isn't really where it should be, because a lot of people will kind of scoff at, personal trainers like oh it's just a personal trainer but personal trainers are essentially frontline healthcare professionals when you think of it yeah if someone's going to restructure life i want to be as healthy as possible can they're yeah. going to personal trainers for this advice yeah. and a lot of personal trainers and in fairness majority of personal trainers are motivated and good people that want to do their best but again through misinformation following the wrong education platforms pardon me and following just the general kind of badness on social media and this misinterpretation of science by very yeah. people that come across as reputable, mm. they're then going and teaching that to their clients and just to spread a misinformation. Yeah. And it's rife within the industry. Well, we'll come to the end of our time. <laughs> and there's like about 20 questions I wanted yeah. to ask you. So if it was okay with you, we'll have you back on in a few months. Yeah, that sounds That's good. Right with you, Dave. Um, I think the biggest thing that people should take away from this podcast is when you said you got to be skeptical mm. not to the point where you're being negative about everything you read but look for the evidence base mm. look for like be curious yeah question everything a lot of people in this kind of politically correct world we have we're afraid of conflict or confronting someone or calling yeah, someone out yeah, where yeah. we shouldn't where anyone that's really into evidence-based practice loves debating this stuff if you see something on social media and it's about doing it in the correct way within social media there's a lot of people just when they want to confront someone they do it with personal attacks and there's two reasons mainly you'll see a lot of people fitness professionals that attack other people yeah. personally on social media try to discredit them and there's two reasons to do that first of all 
their knowledge is not good enough themselves that they can't engage in meaningful discussion exactly. and they just need to aim to be seen to discredit them or secondly their aim is to make themselves appear more knowledgeable yeah. and superior to that what they see as competition yeah. and to do that try come by coming across as overconfident yeah. and attacking them personally so the biggest takeaway is question everything but do it in the correct way anyone i love being questioned if someone comes to me and uh, just question say I, I don't hi Dave whoever I don't agree with you on that these are the reasons I don't agree with yeah. you what do you think and then come back and always people just then go around allow the person to come back and yeah. say okay this is why I think this this is this I do it because of what this evidence says exactly. what that evidence says and then allow them to come back and rebuttal yeah. and say okay and there's an art the to world de- will be yeah. such a great so, place. There's an art to deconstructing someone's argument. If someone comes with me with this, oh, well, look at this evidence, this evidence, I'll say, yeah, but the thing with that evidence is, look, this is what they did. Yeah. And systematically go through and rotate. And it's then, a really robust and, mm, and energy-giving yeah. interaction. And, this, and then what's great on social media, you have the two people engaged in this, but everyone that's reading them comments is then getting the exactly. whole picture. Exactly. And the biggest thing I'll take away for anyone that's engaged in these meaningful debates when you are proven wrong or you say okay their evidence is good i never thought about that way they're actually right acknowledge that they're right gracefully say i was mistaken yeah because any science i never never saw that that's really interesting every science is evolving we need to be able to evolve with it and within life as a whole you're either adapt to change or you're left behind well what i will say to anybody who's considering coming at david with uh, mm. an argument you best be prepared <laughs> i'm definitely convinced of that having read him over this past hour i always finish with this question david and it's um what does wellness mean to you what does wellness mean to me first it's kind of multifaceted i think wellness i believe now, this is to you yeah to me it's not cookie, yeah it's not cookie cutter yeah. as we discussed <laughs> wellness for me personally i believe has to be selfish before being selfish selfless so I think personally, you have to look after what I do personally that I have to always question myself, am I enjoying what I'm doing? Am I giving value to people? And then at the end of the day, can I um, convincingly tell myself what I'm doing, I'm happy, I'm not kind of manipulating or exploiting anyone, I'm giving value to everyone mm-hmm. I meet and then the people that I care about most support me and once you get yourself right you're happy with what you're doing and you can be confident in that you enjoy every day so you have a reason to get up in the morning and you go to bed excited about getting up tomorrow about the things you can do so once you get that down first for yourself you're happy within yourself and what you're doing then you go on to what i'd call my selfless wellness and that is every single person you meet you leave an impression on them even if it's someone within a shop whatever you have an interaction several every day and you leave some sort of impact on that person so why not make that impact as positive as you can and the difference even in a coffee shop something like that the simple thing of when you're someone thanks for that hope you have a good day or have a good day now it makes that little statement can make a huge difference to someone and then if you're someone that has maybe a bit more disposable income simple things like pay for the stranger deed i think try do one good deed for a stranger is Pay it forward yeah it's a really good thing just the coffee behind yeah there that's for their coffee yeah or a toll bridge that's yeah. for their toll yeah. behind yeah. and then what's good about that it's doing something good but you never get gratitude for it mm. it's actually you're not waiting around to be thanked for that person yeah. 
you just go away knowing that you did a good thing for that yeah, person. Yeah. So first of all, self selfish wellness, look after yourself, get yourself in order and that everything is good for you and then try and make a positive impact on yeah. everyone you meet. So That'd be the, your cup is filled and it's overflowing. Yeah, that's what wellness would be for me. That's fantastic, Dave. Well, listen, thank you for your time. I was thoroughly engaged for the last... 70 minutes of um of chat i as i said i have another 20 questions for you so i'd love to do this again um, and thank you for bringing your passion to this project and no I problem look forward to chatting to you again absolute pleasure being here dan i look forward to coming back again yeah.